Listeners, and welcome aboard Costume Station Zero. I'm Bob Mitch, and today I'm joined by a man of many talents and faces. Uh, he's a cosplayer, costume maker, and prop and costume restoration artist. So please welcome Kelly Del Cambre. Hi, guys. So, Kelly, you've heard the podcast. Uh, I like to start at the beginning. Let's let's get into how you got into your love of costumes. My love of costumes. I love costumes. Started. I would say about 1976, and I blame it all on a, um, a television show that premiered during the, uh, the late afternoon hours called The Electric Company. <laughs> and yes, guys, um, the, our friendly neighborhood wall crawler started it all. So while watching Spider-Man on The Electric Company, that kind of got me the whole idea of a man dressed in a head-to-toe costume that looked very claustrophobic. And I, I guess the way he was treated at the time with all the comic book hype and the, the, all the information that was given to you in the electric company, that world, that colorful world, mm-hmm. um, I just wanted to be a part of it. And I really didn't know anything about the character. I just knew of the body language that he did, so I would mimic that as a six-year-old kid around and it would freak my sister out. Um, <laughs> And it was something about the webs under the arms, which, by the way, that plays a lot later on in my career as the webs under the arms Spider-Man. So I'm a huge fan of that anyway. Um, so, of course, 76, 77, and you entering in the world of the instant gratification of underoos. Uh, so, I love underoos. So underoos became a staple, uh, which basically started off as, you know, easy instant gratification to start a costume uh, be it you know the spider-man on the ruse and i would wear my um uh, corduroy navy blue corduroy pants and i would take my uh, my sister my sister was in uh gym gymnastics so she would have tights that i would cut up and <laughs> basically uh put red socks over my feet uh, and took marks a, a lot and drew the webs on, uh, probably my first contact high. Um, and I would put socks on my hands, drew webs on that, um, and, to, and had, of course, a red hood, a ski cap with a pair of uh, sunglasses. And um, I had my uh, utility belt, which had a Spider-Man web maker that I bought from a TGNY. I don't know if you guys remember TGNY back in the mid-70s. Uh, before, this is way before the superstores. And uh, uh, a Spider-Man Pez dispenser, and uh, handcuffs or a flashlight, and um, this is basically I had my own utility belt before 
I saw the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man when he came out later on in 78. Because I always thought a superhero had a utility belt due to Adam West's Batman. Mm-hmm. So um, I would parade around the neighborhood as Spider-Man. And they had like a, an old folks home near where I grew up with the elderly there. And I would go in there and basically um, cheer them up, morale, good morale for them. Uh, and they would call me Bug Boy. And um, I remember that the socks on my hands were cumbersome. So as I would expect them to be. Yeah. So this was so I did Spider-Man like 76, 77, 78. You know, I, I kind of gave it up at times because I got more enthralled with other superheroes or other characters that were on television because pop culture was such a a pivotal, a pivotal um, force in my life at the time, being a young kid and very easily subjected to that type of entertainment. Um, you know, Batman, Adam West, um, in cartoons at the time. So, um, super friends. So, um, go team. I, exactly. So, uh, from Spider-Man, it kind of morphed into Robin, which, in a way, that spawned. Uh, I would say um, I really didn't know who Robin was, but I remember seeing episodes of the of Batman and Robin from the you know the the reruns that they had, and at the time, uh, it, we're what I think we're in seventy. 77, 78. I would say about 1978, you know, I think I was at the tender age of eight years old. Um, and um, Burt Ward was doing a, uh, a promo at elementary schools. And he would go and talk about um, his character and what he did for a living and to the to the children and i guess this just kind of panned off that due to the fact that they brought back the batman fandom on television because mm-hmm. i remember they had a lot of batman going on and i remember seeing burt ward he wasn't in costume but he came to the elementary school got up on stage did a little uh q a with the kids and then left and he also said that you know come by later on during the week he's going to be at some sort of um a signing at a trailer park, which was, was a, 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 it was like a trailer park that sold trailers, and he was there. Um, I got my mom to bring me, and we went, and this was my first exposure to a superhero and seeing his costume at the age of eight, and I remember in law, this long line with other kids getting their autograph with Burt Ward, and I think the, the picture was uh, Robin hanging on the, the railroad train and pointing. Um, you know, brightly colored photo, and uh, we got our photo, and we're getting up there, and there's, you know, there's Robin sitting at the table signing autographs, and I remember I looked at his utility belt, and I just ducked and cut and ran. I just, <laughs> there was something about the utility belt scared the bejesus out of me. It was too intimidating? And very intimidating. And also, his leather, his gloves were, you know, the leather glo- the leather gloves, and the, and the booties, that he, the, the little shoes that he had, were leather or, or made out of suede material and I just like that seeing a real live superhero or person in a, a costume or uniform of that magnitude freaked me out. So <laughs> I just hightailed it back in the car and I'm like, I, my mom was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I, I drove you way out here to see Robin and I'm like, no, I don't want it. It's this bell. It's this bell. It's this bell. <laughs> and so, of course, yeah, 
to see me. I never got a chance to see Robin, nor get an autograph from Burt Ward. But I still have the picture. No, no autograph. But years later, once again, I got his autograph. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, so I went home, and once again, under ruse, Robin under ruse, did my whole Robin costume. So I played Robin around the neighborhood, and that got me in a lot of trouble with my friends. Uh, they, they called me names, of course, running around in your sister's leotards. <laughs> Dressed as Robin, the boy wonder, and riding your bike with a yellow towel on your neck. I, I can't. I, I to this very day, I remember riding my bike, and the the cape, the towel was incredibly long, and I remember getting the cape stuck in the spokes of the bike, Ooh. and literally ripping me off my bike onto the ground, and then going back home with you know bruised, and I just got a pair of scissors and cut the cape up to you know I guess beyond my, 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 my rear end. My name in the neighborhood was Captain Cream Puff. Ooh. Um, and of course, you know, after Robin, Captain America came into play. And of course, everyone at, the, at, at a younger age would have their, you know, you have your whoopee. You have some sort of security blanket that you would have with you to give you a sense of security. I had a Rubbermaid trash can lid painted red, white, and blue. Ah, as did I. <laughs> <laughs> it did, had to I, be that Rubbermaid because uh, it was lightweight. It had that really, you know, hardcore handle on the back of it. And when you threw it, it picked up some serious wind. And it was so cold when mm-hmm. you would throw it, it just go sailing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would never come back to you like, you know, Cap Shield in the comics. But it's just the idea that you can throw it and you can just see it glide <laughs> forever. Um, so that was... Um, my security blanket at the time, and of course that coined me the name Captain Cream Puff throughout the neighborhood. Um, of course, like I said, a lot of what I did as a kid, and of course you guys out there listening, you know, be it comics or television, and we want to be that. We want to be a part of that. And Spider-Man, once again, came into play later when the Nicholas Hammond episodes came into play and then of course the Bill Bixby Hawk Luther Rigno and then the Red Brown Captain America you know being a kid at eight or nine or ten years old and being subjected to this stuff on television was pretty and having a kid with an active mind it was pretty brutal in a way because of the trouble that this stuff would get me into but (laughs) it was so well worth it Um, I was gonna say it sounds like it was good times awesome times was the best of times um, but uh, Spider-Man, I would say he was the one that got me in the most of the trouble. Uh, for instance, this, this, this is like a, a story of mine that's really dear to me. I wore it to elementary school under my clothes. And uh, I had my Spider-Man costume. And of course it evolved. I remember that the gloves that I had were socks. But I wanted my fingers to be exposed. And I remember that I got a hold to a, a red marks a lot and decided to draw on my hand. So I started drawing red onto my hand and then drawing the little black webbings on my hand. I'm like, wow, I got gloves, but yet it was just marks a lot at hands. Of course, this is marks a lot. It ain't washing off. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I went to school the next day with... Spider-Man hands uh, got teased, of course, but I had my costume in tow. The bell rung. Kids were outside playing. I decided to, you know, slip into my uniform, crawl out the window, 
as Spider-Man would do. <laughs> as you, yeah. <laughs> and uh, made a beeline for the special ed building. Good place for Spider-Man to be, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm on top of the special ed building doing my... <laughs> you know, I can still hear that, that saxophone going off in my head. It's still the best Spider-Man music ever, in my opinion. Bada-bing, bada-boom. And um, so I'm doing that, and all of a sudden, you know, the teachers come out yelling at me, and then all of a sudden the whole school starts surrounding the special ed building, and you're seeing Spider-Boy on the building doing his little, you know, how how Nicholas Hammond or whoever actor played Spider-Man when he was on the building, he was lurched over, and his arms were out, and he was, like, twitching around, looking very paranoid. <laughs> and... And that's what I was doing. And of course, I, I don't think the teachers were subjected to what Spider-Man was all about. They just thought that, you know, I'm on a special ed building, by the way. So they probably thought I was like a special ed kid. Got <laughs> onto a, a Halloween costume. He got on the, on the building and started doing his, and you know, going and having some sort of Tourette's or something like that. I don't uh-huh, know. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm on the building, being yelled at, laughed at, and of course, you know, the fire engine comes screaming around the corner. They hoist the ladder up. I got two firemen chasing me on the building trying to catch me. <laughs> so they catch me and they, they get me to the ladder. I'm crawling down the ladder. By the way, guys, I have my mask on the whole time. And they wanted to rip it off my head. <laughs> Ain't going to happen, buddy. Um, so they got me down, brought me to the principal's office, got into the office. Of course, the principal took my mask off, revealing my face. I remember looking at the, uh, it was Principal uh, Mr. Landry. Mr. Landry was his name. And this, the, the generation that I grew up in, when we were bad in elementary school or school along, we got paddled. And the, uh, the paddle, this paddle was large, it had holes in it. So when you go to swing it, you get more, it's more leverage oh, and yeah. less friction with the wind and you caught those cheeks right on the money and whack. Um, so it was like three smacks. I remember that, you know, I'm like, what, nine years old, 10 years old, in my Spider-Man gear, and I'm in the principal's office, and he's like, okay, grab your ankles. Mm. So before I grab my ankles, I put my mask on. <laughs> and whack, whack, whack three times. Didn't really feel much because why? I'm Spider-Man. They gave you inner strength. The bingo. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the costumes that I did as a kid gave me that that sense of security or confidence to do more uh, I remember my my, um, my dad uh, threw me in the water I really didn't know how to swim very well and of course I'm being teased because I have Aquaman under rules on <laughs> and of course you know throws me into the water and I start dog paddling why I'm Aquaman <laughs> so I didn't drown um, so once again the, the costumes gave me a sense of um, more empowerment basically as a kid so uh, now we're going to enter into the 80s there was a television show called The Greatest American Hero oh another favorite of mine <laughs> I know we, we relate on the same stuff here so yeah go on that kind of in a way that kind of got me on a realistic level into costume. And also there was other things in Saturday morning at the time, you know, that Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Great cartoon. And they had a, I don't know if you guys remember this obscure nugget called a kid's superpower hour with Shazam. Oh yeah. And, uh, they had these superheroes called, um, the heroes from hero high and 
all these characters were like Captain California and Glorious Gao and Trixie and Rex Ruthless and Punk Rock and Misty Magic and uh, Weatherman. <laughs> these <laughs> are. Um, and I would, you know, I was galvanized to the television watching, and of course Captain Marvel, Shazam, uh, watching these episodes. So Kid Superpower Hour, Greatest American Hero, you know, and, and Auto Man. Oh, man. Auto Man was another big, you know, pivotal character that I, I immersed myself in. This is like pre-Tron because I remember um, getting a hold to uh, the glow-in-the-dark tape and taping myself up in a, a black um, jersey um, costume of sort, making you know, but it never really worked because it didn't really glow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did Auto Man. And uh, aluminum foil became a friend of mine with Auto Man, believe it or not. Uh, so, and with the greatest American hero, once again, you know, it's kind of like I was more, uh, I was becoming more fascinated with characters. Never really a Superman fan, which is really weird. With, that with, is weird. With the Chris Reeve franchise coming in into the late 70s and then, you know, rolling into the 80s. I was never into Superman. It was always the more obscure. The more obscure, I mean, Spider-Man, you know, that's mainstream and Robin mainstream, but, you know, Greatest American Hero, Hero High, uh, Auto Man, Street Hawk. Uh, wow, Street know, Hawk. Man, all these, all these different, all these different, you know, very eclectic superheroes <clears throat> at the time. Well, let me, let me ask you something. So why is it you think that you did veer from Superman and even, uh, interestingly, you chose Robin to right. cosplay as or costume as instead of Batman, which right. is what most kids would have done. Right. Because, you know, Robin, why was Robin created to begin with? Robin was basically the ideal uh, vehicle that the child would put himself into to have the adventures with Rob, with Batman. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's why Robin was created to begin with um, back in the day. Because um, every kid, every boy, adolescent could identify with Robin more than a grown man with serious issues <laughs> but he wasn't portrayed that way back then that's what I'm saying well I, I know but I just never you know I just knew that with Spider-Man I could do it because I was skinny mm-hmm. um, and his face was covered and mm-hmm. I knew that Peter Parker he was a boy mm-hmm. uh, Robin hence boy it was kind of like I was trying to it, continuity I knew what continuity was at a very early age that hmm. I would never portray a character that was an adult like Superman or Batman or any character that had that was a man mm-hmm. or having the word man in the sense of Spider-Man but still I just knew it was a man um, so that's why Superman really just like yeah Superman really I never dressed as Superman ever ever I never did Superman um, what about Captain Marvel yes that's later I mean of course with the um, the, the Jackson Boswick um Captain Marvel that came out, the live action stuff that came out, that, that was another thing that kind of, you know, moved me as a kid. Mm-hmm. But what, what's interesting with Captain Marvel is that it was more uh, accessible to make that type of costume because you had, you know, capes in the day, mother would make them, you had to find them, so a towel in the bathroom became your cape. So what was the number one color in towels? white bingo <laughs> so that became more accessible for me to make a captain marvel cape out of plus with the Mego dials yeah you know the cape alone was yellow or white or whatever color that they had available yellow. at the time yellow yellow and of course <laughs> the little propellers flowers the florets florets 
uh, politically correct. Um, <laughs> so though that information there too, you know, you draw them on with a, a martial art or something. So um, basically, it was like the elements to make a costume was, you know, underoos, corduroy pants, yeah. socks over the shoes, yeah. uh, a towel for a cape, yeah. and then you had all the accessories that you would buy buy at your five and dime store, being handcuffs or a flashlight or a pet suspenser. <laughs> so, um, yeah, never really did the Superman thing um, nor the Batman thing. Um, so, basically the 80s became more of a... Um, it had its highs and lows. It had its highs and lows because, you know, going through puberty and you're, you're involved in this, you know, fantastical universe... And it's viewed upon at the time as very immature, nerdy. Sure. Um, yeah. And the, the friends that I had when I was growing up, um, it, it was, you know, BB guns and you know, a man's man or camping or, you know, girls, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's that whole, you know, it, it, the norm, basically. And I was the oddball. I was the oddball in the group. But I was respected. And I never stopped doing it. Um, as I got older, as you know, to my preteen years, I never stopped doing it. And it gained much more respect in me because it started bringing out more or less refined talent in what I was able to do with the materials at hand. Right. And of course, when Halloween would come around, they would come a-knocking. Uh, which they became my my guinea pigs. Um, so basically my friends became my guinea pigs to put the, the costumes on. And they wouldn't even bat an eye because why? It was Halloween. Any right. other day, forget it. Ain't going to happen. So they can get away with it. It was their, you know, their number one card to use that day to, to dress up as uh, be it flamboyant in tights or anything of that nature. So um, You were the resident customer on your block, is that what you're of saying? Of course. The neighborhood I grew up in was pretty vast in, in different types of tribes, per se. It was weird. It, everybody had their own little cliquish clubs, and we had our like little cabin, and we had our, I guess, six guys that hung out in the cabin, and I was the weirdo, you know? But I was constantly, constantly working. I just worked, worked, worked in the aspect of understanding what fabric was and understand aesthetics and and color and contrast and texture and you know this i'm like what 15 16 years old at the time Mm -hmm. so as time went by you know superheroes was one thing and then i started getting into horror understanding that um you know being the the slasher stuff back in the 80s being kruger or myers or boris or any of those you know, well-known characters. Sure, big franchises. Um, yeah, so um, when I got, I, I kind of like removed myself from the superhero world and kind of got into the monster universe because the monster universe was more, I guess, along the lines of mature. Sure. And viewed upon less as nerdy. Sure. Because you, you had scantily cladded girls getting slashed or you know just the way the movies were incorporated to get that you know adolescent in there it was it was pitched to a more adult audience exactly and so um 
what, this is 17... I would say my first horror movie was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, mm-hmm. uh, Revenge of Freddy. And I remember my adrenaline just going crazy, but knew that the impact of, of who or what this character was on the audience. And I'm thinking, man, if I make a costume like that, you know, and where it's not to school, you know, what would my peers think? You know, it'd be really cool. So, uh, I did a makeshift Red Kruger costume, you know, got the sweater and painted the green stripes and got the wax putty and put it on my face and made myself my own makeshift hat. Now the glove itself, that was kind of an oddball thing to do, but still it worked. Um, Just a regular garden glove with PVC uh, fittings with hot glue that looked like welded on uh, finger knives and uh, paper fasteners for rivets. The power of hot glue. Exactly. Ah, man, when hot glue came out, that was like God to me. (laughs) I mean, it was like, well, it was interesting because I never really used hot glue as hot glue. I used hot glue as a a skin or some sort of texture. Um, I remember making a Jason Voorhees hood for Mm -hmm. his head out Mm -hmm. of just pure hot glue. And it worked. (laughs) I took rice and glued rice on it to make it look like maggots eating up the flesh. Uh Uh Um, So uh, that's another thing. Anyway. Basically, the late 80s evolved into the horror franchise. So that became, you know, and Kruger, of course, was a, a big move, a staple at the time. Did, did the makeshift costume, wore it to school. And um, I remember walking through the doors and you could have heard a pin drop. Um, people ran up to me and just like, just trying to touch me. And it just felt like being mobbed by the paparazzi. Um, so all day long, I was like, yeah, this is really cool, this is really cool. And of course, people ooh and on over my glove. This is at school? Or this is at, at school. Okay. This is, uh, this is um, I, I would say, 10th grade. Mm-hmm. I think this is 10th grade, dressing up as Freddy Krueger to high school. And everybody was ooh and on over my glove. And I remember three guys coming up to me going, how much would you, would you charge to make one of those? And I never really gave it much thought. Right. And so... I just said $20, so went home and made my glove and sold it for 20 bucks and another glove, 20 bucks, another glove for 20 bucks. And I'm like, wait a minute, something's going on here. Mm-hmm. So I'm making, I'm, I'm like, there's a black market of Freddy Krueger gloves going on at the high school. It's right. Like, I'm dealing gloves, right? Well, this is before they even had a licensed glove. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, I, yeah, I remember before. those later. Yeah. I remember going into the bathroom into a stall with the kid to trade off for cash <laughs> with a glove. I'll never forget that as long as I live. <laughs> it's Miami Vice and costume. <laughs> <laughs> so you were saying there was a costume that started it all in the 70s. Mid-70s. Um, what was happening at the time is that my... Um, I have an uncle who moved in. And he was part of a garage band, or a band in general. He was a drummer. And he had, you know, records... And he would listen to music. He was more of a rock kind of guy, rock and roll. And of course, there was a lot of rock and roll going in and out of my house. A lot of Elvis. A lot of Abba. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a lot of Carpenters. I guess on my mom's side, it was like, you know, Abba, Donnie Marie, all that type of stuff. On my dad's side, it was a lot of ZZ Top, Boston, uh, Van Halen, Led Zeppelin, The Who, um, Pink Floyd, Queen. Uh, and same thing with my uncle. Anyway, he had a collection of albums, 
and I would go, I would look at them because you know albums were a lot like comics. It had these overglorified covers, painted covers, or anything of that nature that was larger than life. And of course, you know, going through them, and I remember seeing that Queen album with the robot, with like, with the guys, the blood on the tips, and that that album used to freak me out as a kid. Uh, but one album really struck a chord with me. And that was these uh, these four guys just playing music, playing rock and roll with their instruments, just like really like balls to the wall uh, music with explosions going all around them. And they had, you know, pancake makeup on. Of course, guys, you know that I'm talking about the hottest band in the world. Kiss. Kiss. So, of course, their costumes and their energy um, galvanized my imagination as a kid. So, hence, more trouble um, in costuming and makeup and, and henceforth. Um, so, as time went by, I would listen to Kiss like every other kid at the time. Um, but when I got of age, I would say maybe nine years old, they had um, Kiss became a, a driving force in the industry because they became more, um, it was less about the music and more about the image. Um, so it was like superheroes. They were becoming more super, more exposed with color and contrast and, and having their costumes really amped up. Um, and of course, I had a treehouse. And in my treehouse, I had posters of Kiss. Um, on my walls of the treehouse were you know, Peter, Ace, Gene, and Paul. But their costumes were so awesome. There were just so much meet there. There was so much going on. Uh, Peter Chris had this, you know, these lion heads for shoulders and uh, all this jungle attire wrapped around him. Um, Ace had these, you know, these sparkly disco ballish looking costume, very reminiscent to Flash Gordon, this lush cape. Paul had this interesting costume, which it was very feminine, I call it the peacock costume because apparently the uh, information on the suit, on the costume itself, it had uh, these peacock patterns on it. And of course he had these, uh, these pirate sleeves and uh, I guess his color was purple. Every, all, all, all four had their own individual colors, be it Peter Green, Ace Blue, um, Paul Purple, and Gene Red. Of course, Gene is the one that I would gravitate to because his costume had a more of a sinister twist to it, mm -hmm. uh, be it the demon. So during the time of um, when I was involved or, or basically inspired by the rock group Kiss, they had, um, I, as a kid, I would drink V8, V8 tomato juice, and of course, the V8 tomato juice became blood that I would splatter all over myself in front of girls around the neighborhood. Nice. That was, that was pretty funny. Very anyway, impressive. I did. There was one costume that um, I liked that Gene Simmons wore, and it was called the Gargoyle costume, which kind of looked like lava rock. Um, and of course, that was one of the posters on, on my wall, my treehouse. And I would just, um, just awe. I would just look at that and like, how is that made? Is he wearing real rock? And so I decided to make my own, and that, in a way, I remember going up to my uncle and asking him what did he think it was made of, and he was like, told me plaster. I didn't really know what plaster was, and then um, 
I had an aunt that I approached with and was like, what do you think this is made of? And of course, I'm like showing her a portion of the picture because I didn't want her to see the whole thing. Like, it's Gene Simmons. And she'd be like, get, get that thing out of my way. Get the devil out of my face or whatever. And um, so I just sort of parts of the costume and she said, like, that might be paper mache. Mm -hmm. And that was basically my first exposure to what paper mache was, be it, you know, glue and water or flour or whatever I could use at the time to create that texture. So I made a makeshift gorgoa costume for myself as a kid. Pretty creative, actually. Which was fun. Mm -hmm. So that got me <clears throat> understanding. And it, it, I remember it drying and it looked a lot like what he had you know I would pick up stones and rocks in the street and incorporate them into the, the boot and the arm part and then the the, the shoulder part and um, so it was kind of it was heavy as hell and it mm -hmm. fell apart of course but it looked so good mm -hmm. um, I have some Polaroids of it um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway that costume kind of started it all in a sense of understanding different mediums, understanding fabrics and, and textures and, and sourcing stuff like that out. So I was think I was like maybe 10 years old at the time. We have to talk Condor Man. Ah, Condor Man, once again, that, that came into the greatest American hero Auto Man bracket um, of the, the, of the mid, mid 80s. Early 80s. Early 80s, mm -hmm. 81 actually. Uh, Condor Man, once again, I was more, I was more impressed or entertained by characters that had their faces revealed. Uh, being Auto Man, you know who he was. Uh, Grace American Hero, he didn't have a mask. Condor Man, he really didn't have a mask. I mean, he had like, goggles to fly, but he really didn't have a mask. But there was something charming about the character of Condor Man. Mm-hmm due to the fact that he was uh, an amped up James Bond, but also with the, a with a bit of Pink Panther, the, uh, you know, uh, the, the, what? Inspector Clouseau. In, in, yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. Inspector Clouseau. Um, so it had all those elements inter interwound in, into that, plus, you know, the, the layer of superhero within it, because he was a comic book writer, and he wouldn't, uh, he was a comic book writer and artist that wouldn't, put anything on paper unless it was tested <laughs> which was brilliant brilliant idea uh, hence more trouble yeah uh, and so yeah when Condor Man came out I saw it on the, on, on the big screen and literally ran home and I had my mom buy me uh, this big sheet of foam that I cut out into wings and <laughs> spray painted you know all the colors on it the condor colors made the harness put it on and of course you're looking for a roof <laughs> um, Famous last words. You know, I, I've I've jumping off of roofs as a kid and never broken a bone. Um, the only times that I had broken something would I would I would I've never fallen out of a tree. I've never fell off a roof. I mean, roofs became more or less I jump off and land on the ground and you know walk away. Any time I would break a bone would be something very incredibly stupid, like maybe holding on the back of a bus or uh, what were you holding on to the back of a bus oh, for and I, I missed I okay in a nutshell I missed the bus uh-huh to get to the to get to my bus at the other bus stop was two blocks away there was another bus coming 
the only way for me to make it to my other bus stop in two blocks was to take a ride on this bus to the next bus stop. Uh huh. So I didn't really get on the bus. I just grabbed the tail light of the bus and I let the tail the bus drag me to the bus stop. Drag you. Drag me to the bus stop. Very anyway, as the bus is dragging me. You know, and I have big, I, I'll never forget people looking out the window, pointing at me and going, oh my God, there's somebody in the back of the bus. And I'm like holding on, being all Mr. Joku. And I'm thinking in my head, you know, the bus is going to stop. I'm going to let go, walk, get on my bus and it'd be so freaking cool. Everybody would be like, what? Mm-hmm. Very James Bond. Anyway. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, of course, the bus accelerated. That did not happen. I let go. Whack, 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 skid, 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 skid. Rip my clothes. I get up. I'm all bruised and busted up. Break, I break a wrist, break my arm. Uh, yeah, good times. Anyway, good times. So I had a cast on. And there's a picture of me as Condor Man, or just wearing the wings, and I have a cast on. And as you get closer of the cast and look who's on it, I have Captain America drawn on my cast. <laughs> I've never broken my arm on by being Condor Man or being a superhero. I break a broken arm sliding on cables, basically being the guinea pig of the bunch to try the new thing out. Mm-hmm. We would have a mattress uh, that we would um, double up in the yard and we'd run off the roof with a pair of wings and <laughs> dive what? onto the mattress, you know, face first. I mean, just literally, what a feeling. <laughs> literally, you know how, you know, the peaks of the roof go at an angle yeah. and it skews down. Yeah. But then we had a roof with a patio. So the patio gave us more leverage to run mm-hmm. to get a good run start and jump off that roof and just whoo, fly onto the mattresses. And so as time went by, the mattresses got further and further and further and flying became, it was almost like within, you know, jumping off the roof, the wings became the arch enemy basically uh-huh. because jumping off the roof with nothing was better than jumping off the roof with a pair of wings because uh-huh. the wing would screw you up. Uh-huh. Um, so I was the last one to jump. The ma- I remember the mattress being incredibly far from away from the roof. And I just, all I got, and that the wings on and everything. And I'm like, Hoo! and as I jumped in midair, I'm like, the mattresses are not under me. Uh-huh. So I hit right into the ground. Oh. So hard, I made an indention of my body in the ground. Ooh. And, uh, but didn't break anything, which is ironic. Um, so... I, I'm actually part of my hair hit the mattress. <laughs> I remember that, and um, you know, having the wind knocked out of you, and you know, being little, I was really little, so my bones were much. You know, I guess I was little, and that's why I didn't really break bones by jumping off of roofs or flying off of houses. So anyway, this is before the days of PC uh, gaming, exactly. And, stuff, and it's right? weird. It's like, where's your mother? Where's your dad? You know, where's your where's your parents that are watching over you all this time? Uh, while you're doing this, you know, I made sure that they were not home when I did all these uh, all these things. Now, hence Condor Man, the wings <laughs> played a big part because hence you know Captain America Shield having that you know that protection. The wings were just so cool. Having these big appendages protrude from your back was cool. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving my bike with the wings on the back. I mean, it, 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 it looked really cool, but it sucked because I had to pedal harder yep. because of the wings were pushing the wind. When yep. Yeah, it didn't, didn't work. So my sister decided that she wanted to see what the wing thing was all about. Mm-hmm. 
So um, I devised a system in my tree with a life vest, basically like a harness with a rope, and you would run, you know, you'd lock yourself in it, and then you would run out and jump and do the Peter Pan thing, right? Whee! Mm-hmm. You're flying around, you're not, you're not holding on the rope because the, the, the rope is connected onto the harness, mm-hmm. the life jacket. So you're flying around. So th- did that cool, and I did it with the light, with the Condor Man wings on too, which looked like I flew. Mm-hmm. So my sister decided to try the wings on, but you know, I'm a sneaky brother. Uh, bad brother. Uh-huh. And I told her, I'm like, you can't really try the wings on. You need to try the whole suit on. Uh-huh. So I did make a makeshift Condor Man costume. Mm-hmm. Um, so here she is. She puts the whole unit on, climbs the ladder on the roof. And, of course, she's uh, she's on the roof. And she's more concerned. I mean, she, apparently in her mind's eye, I could fly. Right. I've seen my brother fly, right. and I'm in the suit that he flies in, so I'm going to fly too. But if I fly, I'm going to fly into the neighbor's yard where the dog is, and the dog might get me. Ah. So in her mind, I'm, and so I tell her, like, when you jump off, pull hard right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so you can steer and you yank yourself, and you'll land at the corner of the fence, and you will avoid the neighbor's yard and the dog altogether. Uh-huh. So, of course, getting confidence. She believes in Condor Man. She believes in her brother. She jumps off the roof like a rock. Uh-huh. So she's on the ground looking up at me, tears. She's not really crying, but she's like, you know, what did I do wrong? <laughs> Got a wind knocked out of her. <laughs> and I looked at her and I looked at her and went, you forgot the flap. <laughs> So she got back on the roof again and flapped. <laughs> of course, <laughs> gravity sucks. Anyway, yeah, good times with my sister. Didn't tap the buckle three times. Exactly. <laughs> no, I just, I'll never forget her face. It's like, what did I do wrong? You got the flap. <laughs> she got back up and did it again. <laughs> oh, what a treat. Anyway, um... Didn't break a bone, thank God, because, man, if she would have broken something, I could never hear from my mom. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, I got I got away unscathed about that incident. I'm amazed. And, you know, of course, believing in her brother could fly, and it's like, no, I can't fly, Kate. Uh, I, I can only glide. <laughs> All the way with it. So um, Falling with style. Yeah. So, Conger Man, yeah, dear to my heart, one of my many loves, um got me into a lot of trouble as a kid um, at the same time as Condor Man which is really funny um, there was a, a very obscure movie called Megaforce oh yeah um, and of course I was fascinated with the technology and the vehicles and of course the character that uh, Barry Boswick yep. played mm-hmm. um, I forgot the guy's name in the movie but you know handsome and cr- very charismatic um, and, but they had these bikes, these really cool bikes. And of course, living next door to a, um, a refrigerator um, warehouse where they put out, when they got new refrigerators in, that the, bo- that the refrigerators came, they had huge boxes. And of course, I was had a lot of accessibility to a lot of cardboard. So I made a makeshift super bike out of cardboard for my bike. 
Um, cool, coolest thing, man. I mean, it looked really, really great. I mean, I had like the little missile launchers in the front. I had the Thunderbolt, you know, motif going on in the front of the uh, the, the wind visor. Um, had the back engine part, the, the spoiler. And I also found like this uh, metal can that incorporated into it. Now, grant you, this is all put together with what? Cardboard and duct tape? Um, nothing better. Nothing better. So I, I, I duct taped this metal can in the back of my bike and I would put, a, um, you know, bits of paper in there to burn to look like it had an exhaust and that mm -hmm. I was going down the street with some sort of smoke coming out of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll never forget, um, I'm driving around and I'm parked and of course, you know, the back of my bike's kind of, you know, smoking. And as I leave, one of my friends sticks a pine cone in there. So as I'm going down, now grant you, I had a, um, I had an umbrella. You know the umbrellas that would pop out and then. Yeah. Well, I had an umbrella for a parachute in the back of the bike, and I remember driving my bike, and all of a sudden everybody's screaming at me, yelling at me, saying my bike's on fire. And as I turned, my whole back of my bike was engulfed in flames, and the umbrella popped open, which even made it even more engulfed in flames. <laughs> And so I'm driving. I'm like, this is cool as shit, man. You know, I'm driving. My whole bike's on fire in the back. And, of course, I jump off. And I actually literally burned a singe some of my shirt and my pants. And I push my bike off to the side. And I'm looking at my bike on the ground. And it's all in flames. So it burns. So my bike caught on fire, literally, due to that. Thanks, Megaforce. <laughs> Megaforce. So much to be thankful for. Um, so it sounds to me like... Uh, that that rock kiss costume you were you were working on mm -hmm. uh, started you down really was the the cornerstone not only just general textures fabrics but also uh, uh, prototype monster kind of getting you into that the monster thing you got into later right uh, when the when the monster thing was prevalent at the time of being more of the mature audience uh, when I started understanding the prosthetic aspect in it. And I remember doing a friend of mine up as Pinhead from uh, Hellraiser and Cenobite. Um, and he wore that to school. Uh, I think he did a contest and he won. Um, and that was a hit. And it was very primitively done. I mean, it was like very primitively done in a sense of I just took hot glue. Uh-oh. And, and I remember taking a, an aluminum nail and putting a little dab of hot glue and then twirling it on the hot glue to give it some sort of body, some sort of surface. And then I would put, you know, the liquid latex at the tip, and I would make a grid on the face, you know, the ball cap, and I would, you know, latex or spirit gum the nails all around his head, and then fill in the gaps with all the white and gray makeup to make him look like the Cenobite. Mm -hmm. um, so I started understanding makeup in that aspect. So uh, Fred Krueger and the Pinheads and um, uh, Darkman. Darkman was another character ah, that dark man. got me to understand the whole prosthetic aspect. And of course you had the magazines that were out, Starlog and Fangora and all that great, great you know, famous monsters of movie land and all that stuff like that. And yeah, I was going to ask, like, did you, was this all trial and error? Were you reading about how to do some of this No, stuff? I just looked at pictures. I never really read and comprehend mm -hmm. what I saw. I just mimicked what I saw in the picture and just tried to think, you know, aesthetically how would this work and every every time I did something it came out it worked um, 
So, but I mean, who would point you initially into the direction of the key materials you needed? I know as a kid, I never would have been thinking about getting into things like well, they had like they had like the costume, the cheap costume stores, and of course, when Halloween would roll around, it was more accessible to get that type of material and to understand that material because I would say, what do we use to stick uh, this thing on your face to keep it? Actually, they had a. Um, I, I, I came up to understand what prosaic is and uh, you know the liquid latex and the spirit gum and when they released a Freddy Krueger uh, foam mask that, that a company put out and I wanted to stick to my face because I wanted to do more of a, a really good Freddy Krueger for a haunted house that I was a part of at the time and this was like 89 so you know the Freddy Krueger thing was fine but the monsters, fine. I understood the aesthetics of the prosthetics and, and the costuming and the, the weathering and the aging and all that techniques right there. I understood all that and learning it through the monster uh, area. But in 1989, started the superhero craze again. Ah, uh, thanks to the Keaton Batman yes. film. Yes, mm -hmm. Enter Year of the Bat. Um, and of course, you know, seeing Michael Keaton on the big screen, you know, it's like, what? And, uh, you know, I'm older now, and I guess I can be a Batman. I'm like, what, I'm 19 at the time? And um, I remember Starlog, right after the movie was said and done, and of course they were trying to, you know, sell to the masses of the costume of a Batman. Starlog put out this costume done by Morris. Um, it was a, a cape, huge, awesome cape. And had all the black rubber urethane parts, and they were selling it, you know, in the in the magazine for like three hundred dollars plus shipping. I, I remember, saw, I remember this costume. Yeah, yeah, and I saw that, and I was thinking, man, how awesome it would be to have that costume and wear it and get on the roof and have all my friends <laughs> there and be all like, yeah, this is awesome, I'm <laughs> Batman. Like, oh yeah, right. Jump so, off, yeah, miss the mattress. Jump yeah. off, yeah. No, actually, I didn't. When I got older, I, I quit jumping. Okay. Because I, I knew that my body was giving, I was gaining weight, getting heavier, and it was just a whole different different area of, of figuring out how my body would react. And, mm -hmm. you know, I I broken many bones, and uh, basically I couldn't do it again. Because I, I didn't want to put my mom and dad through that again. Right, okay. Um, so you didn't get the Keaton Batman costume? No, I did. I remember it was my first check that I wrote and I wiped out my savings. I got it. You know, I, I remember every time I would hear the UPS truck drive, mm -hmm. I would just like, you know, like, like I'm just, so, no matter where I was in the neighborhood, I would hear the, it's the UPS truck. And I just like, whatever I was doing, just drop and run home to mm -hmm. sign mm -hmm. to get my, you know, Batman costume. Uh, so four times that took place, never happened. And of course the fifth time, that was a charm. Mm -hmm. Batman came in. I remember getting it, running into my room, opening it up, pulling it out, you know, smelling the new rubber and pulling out the cape, and the cape was awesome, and I got in the suit, and I looked myself in the mirror, and I'm like, <gasps> I looked like a black Michelin man. <laughs> so disappointed. I, I was like, this is horrible, horrible. I mean, it's like nothing from the movie. Nothing. Like, uh, like, how was it on? The cape, the, the ears were floppy. Uh, there were no structure to the, the, the face itself. Uh, everything wasn't sharp or chiseled. 
uh, even when I took the, um, the, the the chest plate out, the big hunk of rubber with the tie string in the back, mm -hmm. and the spats and the gloves. The gloves were like these big mitts, and I was thinking, well, like I looked at my mitts, going, "Wow, I look like amigo." <laughs> um, so just like, and I I had it on for maybe five minutes tops, and I took it off, and I just remember falling to the ground. I didn't cry, but I just knew that you know, three hundred bucks. Yeah. What am I gonna do? You know, it's like, oh, and of course I'm like, mom, <laughs> I bought this with my savings. Of course, my mom went ape shit, and she was like, oh, okay, I'll get on the phone. I'll call them. We'll get it set. So basically, my mom called, and I think she told them that I wasn't right in the head. <laughs> <laughs> That, you know, my son is a little, you know, mentally challenged and uh, he used up his savings to buy the costume and could we return it? Of course, yeah, sure, why not? We returned it. Uh, got my money back. Amazing. Lesson learned. Amazing. Within a two-week turnaround, I got my money back. But I was costumeless for Halloween that year and I was thinking, oh, man, what am I going to do? I need one to go with Batman. It's so cool. And then Michael Keaton. And I'm like, Michael Keaton, Michael, Michael Keaton. I know who I'll dress up as. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yeah. So I did Beetlejuice. And Beetlejuice took the whole costume aspect to a whole nother level. Because I remember it was my first costume I made from scratch. Mm -hmm. I made the suit from scratch. Um, I did the ball cap. I did the hair. I did everything just from scratch and researched the costume. I mean, I get my VHS copy of Beetlejuice and pause it and pause it and pause it. Uh-huh. Due to that one scene, that it's showtime scene, and um, which is really weird, as as time goes by, there was only one suit made, one suit, and he only wore that suit less than three minutes to five minutes in the film. That was it. But yet he's known for that costume throughout the, the whole film. Because the poster. Exactly from the poster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course the po poster and that up too. So made Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice was a hit. I won a costume contest as a party. Um, everybody loved it. Uh, I even did the voice as Beetlejuice, and it was. I think I had a better time as Beetlejuice than Batman because you know Batman is, you know, he's he's more of a stoic. Yeah, he's in the shadows and uh, and but Beetlejuice is more in your face. Beetlejuice has more character. Scott's always said that there's no shtick to Keaton's Batman. It's just I'm Batman, and exactly. that's kind of all you got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just deadpan. Yeah. So uh, Beetlejuice was huge. Um, so I did Beetlejuice in 89, entered 1990. Now 1990, since the, the big franchise of Batman was really, the hype was really fresh. Um, I think it was CBS that decided to pick up the pilot of The Flash. Oh, The Flash. Yeah, John so was that costume kind of got me like all worked up because it was like, it's prosthetics, but it's for the whole freaking body, mm -hmm. you know, and the way that they did the whole technique with the flocking and the painting, and it looked like a painted man, a naked man painted red. Um, that right there was like, you know, my imagination was going crazy, and I wanted to replicate that look. And hence again, another costume I made myself from scratch, um, which was very difficult. Um, I can imagine. To do at the time. Uh, I remember my faceplate basically came a helmet mm -hmm. um, I ran I was in a this is way before um, Hobby Lobby or Michael's or Pearl or any of those 
um, crafty stores. This was like in the back of some sort of um, fabric store, be it Hancock's or Joann's or any fabric store. They had this this, this material called Fab U Drape. Mm -hmm. It was um, a piece of material that you would put in water, hot water, and whatever surface you put it on, it'll take the shape of, which I thought was just like, wow, this is amazing. So I decided to, I, I did the bald cap, took the Fabu drape, I had my friend of mine put it on my face, and he draped it on my head, and he got a blow dryer, and he blow dried it. And when it dried, I, I pulled it off my head, and I'm like, wow, my first head cast. <laughs> it was, and it came out perfect. I mean, it was like the, the, the my cranium was like really smooth, uh, where my eyes were, you could see the eye sockets, mm -hmm. which was easy to cut out with an X-Acto knife. Mm -hmm. And then I would add bits of uh, construction paper or any any type of material that was hard to create that that point where his nose was, mm -hmm. and then create those little um, divot things at his cheeks. Um, and then what I would do is I'd take um, uh, spray mount or this uh, aerosol can spray was glue aerosol glue can spray it and then stretch over um, red material with like a t-shirt material, a stretch knit mm -hmm. over it, you know, and tuck it under and cut and put, you know, and I would make the ears out of, um, I think it was, it was a combination of um, the, 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 the can, the plastic can of a, a spray paint can, a, a huge button I found at a, a fabric store, the, uh, the butt in of the, uh, the paint trays that you would get, yeah. it's concaved. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the winglet was a PVC that I, that I uh, heated up in the oven and cut out with a pair of scissors and shaped. And then I put more PVC to create the the, the wing information, the three the three dimensional wing information. So basically, super glued that whole thing together, and then. Um, Spray painted, you know, into gold. Wow, that looked really cool. Mm -hmm. And you know, it connected to my ears. And of course, being that the head shell was is flexible but yet hard, it held. And of course, you know, we're in we're in nineteen ninety, so the world of hot glue is upon us. <laughs> so, you know, I hot glue the ears on, the ear cups on, and hot glue the uh, the chest emblem on. And then I made a, a PVC belt. The PVC um, light thunder uh, lightning bolts on the uh, on the arm, and uh, I, I made my first pair of gloves out of stretch knit material. So basically, the whole costume was made out of t-shirt material. Wait, wait. So the like the bodysuit was a t-shirt material? Yes, I made I bought a bolt of, of red t-shirt material, mm -hmm. and I took apart a pair of jogging pants mm -hmm. and uh, a, a, um, a jogging shirt, and mm -hmm. used that as a pattern. Uh. And as I would make it. On the sewing machine, it was bulky, but then I would taper and taper and taper and get smaller and smaller to my build. But what was interesting is that the Flash costume that I was making was not so much replicating what was in the show. Mm -hmm. I was replicating what Dave Stevens did. Dave Stevens was the artist, the creator of the Rocketeer. He created that look of that Flash costume. He was the one that came up with the concept of more black mm -hmm. showing. And his body build was much more skinny because mm -hmm. a runner is much more, you know, cut and less than a bodybuilder the way yeah. that John Wesley ship was. Mm -hmm. So I was using that picture as my guide. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, 
I always thought it was weird that he didn't have the gold boots. Yeah, that that did bug me too. Yeah. Yeah. But it still it worked. Yeah, it's still it, it a worked. great costume. It worked. So I did the Flash for Halloween of, of 1990. Um, that was pretty funny in a sense, but I got teased. I remember the girl I was dating at the time. Her dad was yelling at. I, I know her dad didn't like me at all, but I remember her dad yelling at me, calling me Rooster Boy. <laughs> He's like, "What do you dress up as? A rooster?" I'm like, the Flash. He goes, if you're the Flash, then run around the block. <sighs> yeah, what an ass. Anyway, um, so uh, that was 1990. Now, every time a movie would come out or something on television that would come out that would... And, it, and, and, and it, to this very day, a lot of you guys out there are... It's, it's happening with you. I mean, with the Batman Begins and the Avengers and all this stuff. We're, we're all... When we see something new come out, we just gotta make it. If, know, if it next... catches you, if it yeah. catches the imagination. If it catches the imagination, you gotta make it. Dark Knight Joker is a big one. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Big big one. Big one. Anyway, um, so nineteen ninety one, Rocketeer. Made a Rocketeer costume. Uh, that got me involved in making more props, because I made my helmet from scratch, made the rocket from scratch. Um, it was my first time working with vinyl to create the the jacket. Um, you know, so I made a makeshift Rocketeer costume, wore it Halloween that year. So I made my a makeshift Rocketeer costume, which came out pretty good, wore it that, that year for Halloween. was a hit. I even went to a, um, an air show that they had in our city and wore the Rocketeer costume, and that was a hit there too. I got, got took a picture next to a, an original um, GB, you know, that barrel-shaped plane that's, mm -hmm. that's infamous in the Rocketeer movies or comics. Anyway, so... Um, I'm starting to understand the aesthetic and materials. I'm, I'm, I'm understanding what materials work well with what and what doesn't because a lot of it's trial and error. And now I'm starting to comprehend and start reading what others have done. Um, but my biggest fascination is texture. I'm always a stickler for texture. I love texture. In 1991, in that area, I got together with, a, with, with friends. I finally found friends that basically did the same thing that I did. Mm -hmm. They were into the costumes. They were into the theatrics. They were, but it kind of it was a little bit more in, in, in essence of you know, media of television. So I had a group of friends. We all had a certain strength in a, a type of entertainment or, or, or knowledge um, and we wanted to create more or less a portfolio of sorts of, of a body of work but we wanted to work together as a team to create some sort of product I guess mm -hmm. um, during this time we, you know Wayne's World came out and that was a hit and you know having that that idea of two people talking about comic books or just two people in general or three people or four people in general talking about comics, what's, what's new, what's old. Um, and then that became of an interest that we all got involved in, in, in a, in a um, it was like a, an open channel. Um, there was a, a television station that allowed you to go in, you came up with a concept, they would have to get approval and you're able to use their devices, their equipment, to create 
what the idea that you had. Cable access. Cable access, bingo. Mm. And all of us had our own individual talents. And we all wanted to come together to create a show. And Comic Book Monthly was born out of that. Um, we had a person with a per we had a person with personality that knew his way around comics. He became the center guy, the, the, the guy in the middle that that kind of like kept the show together. All the other people, you had you know a stagehand. You had uh, people working in the uh, the monitor, the boots of the monitor. You'd have someone doing um, dressing up as, in costumes. Basically, the guy was kind of like a uh, David Letterman of sort. Had, had his desk, had all this. Uh, comic book paraphernalia around him. He had like Thor's hammer, Captain America's shield, the Infinity Gauntlet, uh, Flash's mask. I remember all this information that was surrounding his desk. And the background was all theatrically painted up. And of course, I did the majority of the art in it, plus the costumes. Mm -hmm. And we would cast people, friends that we know, to dress up as a superhero and basically come on the show, sit down, and be interviewed by the host. In character. In character. Um, we did a Robin, we did a Beetlejuice, we did a Deathlock. The Deathlock episode was pretty funny. Um, we did a Boba Fett episode. Um, we did um, a Thing episode, but it was funny with the Thing is that we can only do him like via satellite from, <laughs> and he was in the bathtub because all we can do is shoot from the shoulders up um, because it would, you know we're out of pocket. It's, there's no budget, and you know we had to use odds and ends to make it happen, to texture the set or whatever. And I had to make a, a thing costume. But what I did was I took my friend and cut up pieces of um, sponge and just spirited gum to his body and created that whole. Actually, it looked really cool because it looked like Jack Kirby's thing, uh -huh. you know, the muddy thing instead uh -huh. of the rock thing. Sure. So. Um, Captain did, Marvel, right? You did the Captain. We Marvel. also did a Captain Marvel episode mm -hmm. in Fawcett City, which was a really good episode because it's interesting that a city we we sourced out uh, a town near where we live, and in the uh, the center court, the courtyard of the town, it was painted kind of like Dick Tracy. You know, mm. the movie Dick Tracy had all these colors, yeah, and it looked so cool like a Fawcett City mm -hmm. that Captain Marvel would dwell in. Mm -hmm. um, so we had we had like our. Um, uh, Woman on the Beat, I think her name was like Jenny McKenzie, and she would go out with her mic and interview superheroes out in the field. Um, and then we'd have... It almost became... The Comic Book Monthly slowly became like a visual wizard. Mm -hmm. I mean, if everybody's familiar with Wizard Magazine back in the early 90s. So we kind of used that as a guide... To create we got six shows under our belt one day one day guys I'll, I'll have it on YouTube so you can watch it it's I was gonna say funny. yeah it's pretty funny the costumes were really good the Robin costume was uh, the introduction of the new Robin costume the Tim Drake costume which was a huge hit um, and then Deathlock that was another great costume that we did uh, and oh, another good good thing that we did and this this was like on on this was an idea that someone had but needed to use it's like if we took the camera and moved it in, took one camera, camera two, and moved it in closer to the host. No, 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 no. Moving in closer to the the guest and took camera three and moved it further away from the host. The person and do a split screen. The person sitting down being interviewed would be bigger. Ah. Uh, Hence mm -hmm. Hulk. Uh huh. Uh, couldn't do Hulk. But we could do a She-Hulk. <laughs> so uh, 
I casted my sister as She-Hulk, but we got her more or less, uh, what was her name, Jennifer Walters, mm-hmm. that's character. Uh, we put her in a, a lawyer's, you know, dress, because she was a lawyer. And, you know, purple, and had the green skin, and lush hair and everything, and it came out awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like this big green woman being interviewed by this little bitty guy. <laughs> so um, that was really great. Anyway. How many episodes did you end up doing? We did six. Mm-hmm. We did six, and then, actually we did seven. We did six, and then the seventh episode was the best of. Now, grant you guys, this was out of pocket. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no funding whatsoever, so costumes were being made by me, considering where I was working at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everybody else that had, you know, secondhand jobs that they were pushing just to create this for themselves. But the interesting thing is that it created a portfolio, a body of work for us to use, you know, in the event that once we get out of school, get out of college, we have this information to take with us to show to the masses to get work because what was the one thing college does not do? It does not teach you how to promote yourself. Mm. So um, we, we try to have ourselves set for that. So we did seven episodes, it was really good. Um, and of course, when you know, school, everything decided to go off separate ways. Anyway, within that environment, I was still immersed in the superhero area. So my thesis that I, I approached to the powers to be was to be superhero, but I got laughed at. Now, were you doing an actual like costuming program? What was your major? Uh, that was theater. Okay. That was costume. Okay. Um, but I got laughed at, but the subject matter was I bought the cover of All-Star number three, which All-Star number three was basically the first gathering of superheroes, be it the Atom, the Sandman, the Spectre, the Flash, Hawkman, Dr. Fate, Green Lantern, and Our Man. So you have all these, you know, well-known characters sitting around a table, and I wanted to recreate that table scene, but real life, realistic. And the challenge was, by the powers to be, that I could do it, but I can't use the same fabric twice, nor can I use spandex or lycra. <laughs> Who loves a challenge? Challenge accepted! So four years of my life, I became more or less immersed into the Justice Society of America. Um, as time went by, you know, not only that, not only did I do the table, I decided to say, hey, what's going on on the other side of the table? You know, there's some other honorary members that are in there. So I decided to do Starman, Dr. Midnight, and Wonder Woman. So I did the other side of the table, too. Plus, I had to work in some female character in there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, on, what's interesting about that whole event was that I had to cast friends, be it to gain weight or lose weight, to wear the costume, to, to become these characters. Now, four years later in the making, here's the, the day. Everybody's putting their suits on. You know, they get the big table in the middle of the floor. We're in a warehouse, got all the spotlights, got the camera guy. I mean, all this equipment. I'm catering the thing. Um, so all my friends and that have not, it's like three sets of friends mm-hmm. that all met at, at, this, at, at that one event, never met each other before. They were in these crazy costumes. Mm-hmm. It was a very surreal moment. Sure. Um, 
But what's interesting, and I got it on video, and yeah, guys, I will put it on YouTube one day, um, is that you have all these guys, you have Hawkman, you have Green Lantern, you have Dr. Midnight, Starman, Wonder Woman, all these guys walking around, around the table, and they're all talking to one another, meeting one another for the first time, and they're talking about politics, <laughs> religion, and sports. <laughs> Nobody's talking about comic books, <laughs> which made it even better because it's just like, this is so weird that this is going on. Surreal. Surreal. This is so surreal that this is going on. So the, uh, the project came out phenomenal. I mean, it, it, it better than I ever anticipated to be. Um, did a photo shoot, took pictures. Um, it, well, it was just four years of my life worthwhile. I mean, that just, it was amazing, amazing, amazing moments. Uh, plus having all my friends do this for me. You know, thank you guys, all you guys for, for helping me out with that. Um, so after that, wait, 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 I want to ask, uh, out of that whole range of character of GSA, uh, what was the easiest and what was the hardest to put together? The easiest, okay, with the Flash, the the Flash was the easiest for the costume part, but it was my first time working with fiberglass because I had to do the helmet. Mm -hmm. I actually sculpted it out of fiberglass, which I'll never forget my eyes watering up, and puffing up, and getting some sort of rash because of the fiberglass. I never really worked with fiberglass before. I read the instructions. Uh, so I made the helmet out of fiberglass, you know, sanded it down, bondoed, and, and painted it, and whatnot. Um, the Flash was would may have been the easiest. The hardest was Hawkman, mm -hmm. uh, because grant you all these characters had to have their own individual look and feel that the way their costumes fit them. Um, my favorite would be Doctor Fate. Because I, I'm a huge fan of Egyptian architecture, and uh, I wanted to incorporate a lot of e Egyptian feel to this character. Uh, I wanted it to be. I wanted. I didn't want it to look like it was smooth or having this angelic, aerodynamic look to it. I wanted it to look like it was made by slaves. I wanted it to look like it was hammered and created by slaves. Mm -hmm. Actually, I wanted his whole costume to look that way, and that's why Doctor Fate. Once you guys see pictures of it, uh, is is my favorite, one of my favorites. Hawkman. Basically, his whole costume is made out of the same thing: foam. <laughs> Every square inch of him is foam. So basically, it's like okay, I need a character that I can use to create to use this one piece of material on, and Hawkman was you know, the candidate for this. Um, and once again, uh, I incorporate a lot of uh, Egyptian characteristics into the Hawkman costume. Foam, yeah. foam tights and... Yeah, that? it was all foam. All foam. Foam huh. tights, foam bandolier, foam leggings, foam boots, foam helmet, foam wings. It was all foam. I can see foam for most of it except for the tights. That's where I'm <laughs> kind of like, wow, okay. Um, the tights... Actually, the Hawkman costume was very... Um, it it I wanted his costume to look like a like 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 a bit like a piece of hardware like piece of military hardware like like you can see this thing flying next to B-52s during World War II, and I had all these you know 
nicks and dings and battle damage and uh, all this information on the Hawkman suit, which would look really cool. Um, so actually his trunks were, uh, it looked like, uh, instead of chain mail, it looked like chain feathers. It looked like feathered chain mail where his trunks were. Mm -hmm. And his bandoliers, he had these um, really um, highly detailed Egyptian uh, feathered things going on. Uh, the wings, I, did, I was never a fan of feathers, like like realistic angel feathers for wings for Hawkman. I always felt that just fell the wayside of that character and just made him look more angel and cheaping him. And I always pictured the wings uh, being more like rudders instead of uh, wings. So the wings themselves look more like part of an airplane, basically. It looked uh, mechanized. It looked like a, a material that whatever planet he's from, uh, Ther what's the name of it? Uh, Ther Thanagar. Thanagar are created. The Nith metal, Nith metal that they've created to, for them to float mm -hmm. and to buy gravity. Um, so his costume was made out of foam. Um, the Adam, you know, he's like a little, a little wrestler, wrestler guy. Uh, his face, I didn't want to have a head sock on for a guy. I remember there was an episode of Twilight Zone you gotta, gotta keep in mind, guys, that as I'm building, I don't build in, you know, wild abandonment. I just don't like dive in and start building. I like to be inspired by what's, you know, what's old, um, very nostalgic. Um, you know, I'm a fan of Twilight Zone. I'm a fan of um, Outer Limits. I'm a fan of all the all that stuff in the '50s and '60s, and I wanted to incorporate some sort of echo to that design in these costumes um, so there was a, an episode on Twilight Zone that a guy punched uh, a, a human in the face and by punching him it, his face broke and revealing this alien underneath and the face was almost faceless but I incorporated that face into the Adam's face mm -hmm. from the Twilight Zone pay a little homage to that um, the Sandman uh, which was pretty cool because I wanted to incorporate some sort of, um, I, now it's called steampunk, <laughs> <laughs> but I was, uh, I, I needed to bring some sort of literature into a character and Wesley Dodds, the Sandman, I just imagined him being, you know, immersed into literature and uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was the one thing that I thought that he'd be most fond of and Basically, the Sandman costume has echoes of the Nautilus uh, and, and woven into the suit. There's like rivets, uh, bulky technology. His gun is very bulky. His gas gun is bulky. Um, his clothes are like oriental pajamas, and there's poppies oh, yeah. embedded all over it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sleep, incorporating the sleep element into it. So a lot of thought went into the costumes themselves. Be it, you know, even the Flash, his costume was based off of a football player, a mm -hmm. runner, you know, mm -hmm. a, a heavy backer. Um, and uh, Green Lantern, mm, there was a lot of stuff going on in that one. Uh, basically, I had to create the Green Lantern to look more like a theatrical stage, like the Scarlet Pumpernickel or something like that, you know, just really outlandishly done. And of course, Our Man being. Uh, since uh, Rex Tyler, 
he didn't really create his own suit. He just he basically stole a trapeze artist costume while he was running away from thugs, <laughs> and just threw it on him, and boom, Iron Man was born. Um, the Spectre. I, I guess, but you know, this is like 1941. All these characters. Um, I wanted to incorporate um, a bit of uh, Wizard of Oz into the Spectre, so I sculpted his face. It was basically he was the only prosthetic in the whole build, and I actually got a chance to you know cast my friend's face and do a sculpt and sculpted the face of Oz as the Spectre. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the Spectre is nude and. He's a ghost, Inspector, and uh, his cape is translucent. You can see through his cape, so you can see his body underneath. Um, so yeah, a lot of thought went into all these uh, these great Golden Age characters. And that's where we lose the signal for this episode. So come on back for the second half of my chat with Mr. Kelly Del Cambray. We're going to talk more about superheroes, monsters, and prop restoration. So I hope you'll be there to check it out. In the meantime, if you have any ideas or suggestions, please go to www.costumestationzero.com, and I'll be happy to answer. In the meantime, this is Bob Mitch signing off for Costume Station Zero. <laughs> Yeah.